0: My mind had been under attack by itself, like it attacked itself for nine months, more and more and more. And finally I reached the point where I was just like, it's time. And I was like, my, t- my my brain was shutting down finally. I was just like, it's time for me to go. And when that happened, I had a miracle.
1: This is TBI Talking Brain Injury with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann. I'm a mentor with BAC since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus all the ones that kind of maybe do remember. Today I talk shop with Adam Campbell, a recently published poet and aspiring novelist living in the Denver metro area.
0: He still has the same function I did when I was five years old or nine or whenever I started, you know? It's all about being healthy, you know? And I'm not saying I'm healthy or the healthiest, but it's like I'm able to function because I can write.
1: Writing has been a part of Adam's life for as long as he can remember. So is brain trauma he's been using one to combat and cope with the other. And in his darkest moment, a miracle came in the form of divine inspiration.
0: I believe in God, I I believe he's my father in heaven and he sent someone to me to, to save my life. And I wrote a book about her and it's called Walking With My Angel.
1: Adam takes a few minutes away from his latest project, a fantasy novel, to share more about his writing process and read us a few selections from his book of poetry. Stick around to the end. Welcome back everybody. It's Phil with the BIAC podcast, TBI talking brain injury from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado. And today I'm joined by Adam down on the front range. Adam from uh, Littleton Lakewood, right? Yes, sir. All right, Adam. And we've never had the chance to meet in person. So it's great to get you on the podcast and talk a little bit about, well, everything about Adam. Um, so first of all, Adam, tell me where are you from originally?
0: I'm from Dallas, Texas, or I, I was born in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. I lived in Irving.
1: All right. Great. Great. Um, when did you come to Colorado? How long have you been here?
0: We've been here since I was, since the middle of my third grade. Oh. Uh, so I don't know. What is that? Like 11, 10, 11 years in Texas and then the rest here.
1: So, so you, you are a Colorado local at this point, man. You've been, you've been here more yeah. than half your life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. All right. Uh, n- now when, um, when you moved from Dallas, you know, what, what are those memories that you have from, you know, growing up in Dallas? you know, the, those kind of early childhood memories, what sticks with you?
0: Um, we had, I lived a very idyllic childhood in, in Texas. We had a, a, we had, you know, I, I was very, um, I guess I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of people who cared about me. And I mean, it was just kind of the community we had there, you know? Um, so, so like we would, we would, It like, for example, in the summers, we would have, uh, we would have this, uh, we had this backyard, uh, that was huge. It was like overgrown with weeds and trees. And, um, just like a lot of adventure, um, for kids, you know? Um, and I, I grew up, I mean, I'm the, I'm one of six children. Um, we had, uh, five children. We have, so my parents have five surviving children and growing up with all those kids and also neighborhood kids and, other family members was just like, you know, life was a playground, you know? Um, so, uh, so Five kids,
1: five kids talk about growing up as, you know, one of a massive family. Where where are you in the birth order? One of the youngest, one of the oldest oldest. Okay. Yeah. Second oldest. Um, so you were kind of in charge of keeping the younger kids in check. I'm sure.
0: Um, well. Not exactly, um I was kind of a a miracle child a little bit. Um, you know, and we can get into that, but it's like you know I, I I functioned with medical problems, challenges, and so I was kind of a at least the way I see it, I was kind of like a a reason the family could have someone to kind of um, i don't know worry about is that does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Expound on that. You know, what kind of things did you grow up with, um, the medical challenges?
0: So when I was nine years old, um, it was me, it was just, you know, when I was nine years old, it was just me and my older my older sister and my younger brother, we were playing helicopter in our living room in Texas. And, you know, we had a floor that was hard. We had like, I think we had um, a carpet on top of the floor, but no padding underneath the carpet. So underneath the carpet was cement, you know, um, Mm -hmm. we were playing helicopter, you get it, you know, you spin around, get dizzy, fall over, recover, repeat. Um, and if that makes sense and, uh, kids games. Yeah. Yeah. Kid games. And so (laughs) I, I spun over this one time I, I spun around, I got dizzy, fell over, hit my head on the ground, um, and was knocked out, um, from that impact. And, um, my, my dad came over real quick from the kitchen and he, uh, you know, he roused me pretty quickly, but he didn't want to take any chances. He took him to the hospital to see if I had any, you know, like, um, brain damage or anything like that. So they did a CAT scan and the CAT scan revealed that my blood ventricles in my brain, um, were about four times the size of a normal person. Um, and so of course he wanted to figure out what that was about. So, like the following week or a few days later or something like that, they, they followed up with an MRI. Um, and the MRI revealed that I had a brain tumor. Um, and my life has changed, you know, ever since then and life has been challenging, you know?
1: Yeah. Wild. And and you said that was nine years old. So like at this point, do you even really, do you even remember life before brain troubles? Little snippets even of like, you know, what it was like to be, you know, kind of carefree kid
0: i don't remember much before i was nine and i don't remember a whole lot after that either i mean i have snippets of course you know um but i think you know i think my brain is hardwired or something for like traumatic events like i remember traumatic events pretty pretty well like for example my before I was nine, like one of the major events that I still remember before I was nine, I was five years old at the time. And um, my, my younger brother, who was a baby, he was three months old, his name was Joseph, and he he passed away as an infant. Um, I think it was SIDS, you know? Um, and and so I remember that. And I remember as a five-year-old thinking, you know, I'm, I'm the older brother, I'm supposed to protect my, my siblings, right? Um, so as a five-year-old, I thought, you know, I failed, you know, I failed to protect my younger brother. He shouldn't have died. He shouldn't have died. And so my mind, you know, my mind went crazy as a five-year-old, but, um, you know, that was one of the things that has shaped my, my, I guess you call it development, but it's just like, it's been a challenge, you know, that's been another challenge along with the, the brain tumor. It's just like these things that I feel guilty or I feel, um, unhealthy or whatever, what have you. Um, if that make does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you said, there's just so much involved in that being young and the trauma of seeing, you know, a sibling pass away, but also the fact, like you said, older brother, like you felt like there was something that you should have done or could have done. Um, And especially like, you know, in a large family these days, you know, as, as the older brother, um, do you still feel like, um, you know, you know, you got to take care of the family or is there, I don't know, as you get older, that kind of fades a little bit.
0: Uh, that stills with me. You know, I still feel like I have a responsibility to my family and I don't, you know, I don't have a a wife or kids or a significant other right now. And so at this point, and so it's just like my, my sense of responsibility comes from this idea that I have abilities, you know, and I mean, I'm a writer, I'm an author. And my thought of course is I ought to be able to do well as an author enough that I can help my family in that way. Um, so, so it's just like, there's all, I mean, I don't, I don't guilt myself anymore like I did as a kid, but that took a long time to overcome that mindset.
1: And I'm sure writing is one of those things that helps with it. Yeah. Talk about uh, writing. When did you start getting into that?
0: Uh, probably I was, so when my brother passed, I was uh, five years old, but then like some years later, probably I was like 10 or um, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there my, I read this poem that my dad had written to my younger brother who passed away. And it was a, so this poem was like, at the time it was like the most poignant thing I'd ever read because of course it hit home. Um, and so, so I would, you know, I, I thought about that poem and thought about it. And, and eventually I was just like, I want to write like that. You know, I want to write my stuff. I want to write out what's going on inside. And so I started writing probably at 10 or 11, like, in that mindset, you know.
1: Yeah, so you started real young with writing. What kind of writing were you drawn to? You know, for um, you know th- those early years, were you writing poetry or were you writing stories or something else?
0: I remember right well. I wrote mainly poetry, but I remember writing a story about a kid who was like going to go camping out on his own. He's probably like he's probably like my age or something, ten years old. And he was like, "I want to go camping." So I bring like spaghetti and I make this camp pot of spaghetti and. Um, and so I was like, this, this there's a story and, and but mainly it was poetry, and it was just like I would write out whatever was going on inside me. Sometimes the poetry was goofy because of course, I'm a kid at the time, right? Um but mainly, I, from what I remember, at least growing up, it, it just it was a way of getting out the stuff that was inside and that meant that it was pretty serious stuff often, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. Do you have any of it still sitting around? Like, were you writing in journals or were this all like scrap pages of paper that uh, have gotten lost over the years?
0: It's both, you know, I mean, I have poems now, of course, I've written hundreds of poems uh, over the years, but I mean, most of my poetry now is long poetry. So I don't know if it's appropriate for a podcast, but I'm driven to finish it because I've been working on this thing for 25 years. And I don't know how that sounds from your end, but, uh, um, but it's like I, I write, I it's like I get up and I'm like I need to write I need to write and of course I have other things going I just started a a, a part time job and I uh, uh, with uh, with Biak but uh um so my process normally is just um just to take the things that I've written and like look at the the holes in the plot line just like okay what can I do to plug this hole um, what can I do to flesh out my characters because uh, in, in real writing in, in, in quality fiction, it's all going to be, in my opinion, is all going to be character based plot, character driven plot. Um, you know what I mean by that?
1: Oh yeah, most definitely. You don't start with the plot. You start with the characters and they lead to the plot for sure.
0: Yeah. And it's like, if you know your characters and they start doing things in your head and you're like, okay, so you just start writing down what they're doing, you know? you don't tell your characters what to do. They tell you what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely know what you're saying. Um...
0: Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's, I mean, but I don't know if that answers your question either, but um, I, you know, you, I just, I sit down and I write, And if I can't write, if I can't write novel, then I write poetry because poetry kind of loosens up the creative juices. A little
1: bit yeah Um, yeah i get you well and one of the best pieces of advice i ever got from somebody when it came to writing no matter what kind of writing it is is like you said do it every day or at least try to do it every day and just remind yourself that this is what you do this is what you're good at this is what you want to do um because i think one of the biggest struggles a lot of people run into whether they're journaling or writing fiction or poetry is you start thinking about it as you're writing it instead of just getting out of your own way. You know, you, you, you kind of become your own worst critic even as you're writing. And before you know it, you've written 10 words in an hour and you, you really haven't gotten anywhere. So the thing I always remind myself um, is just, just write, dude. Because, I mean, you like doing this thing, let the story find itself. And if the story doesn't find itself, go write something else. Or if 10 words is all you can get in a day, then... 10 words is all you can get in a day. Tomorrow's a new day, different day. Yep. Later today might be different than, you know, right now. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. There's a, there's some, um, there's a lot of exercises you can do or we can do to, uh, to kind of get the juices flowing when they're kind of stuck. Um, I, I use this, uh, um, or I used to use before. I mean, I don't have, I haven't had, writer's block in a while but when i did have writer's block i used this exercise it was like uh, um, it was an exercise that an old uh, writing teacher of mine gave me um, and i can tell her name because i think it's better that i you know give credit where it's due her name was holly lyle um, something she taught me was to write out um, it's you know you write out i love and put a circle around those words. I hate circle. I need circle. Um, I get servers from. I am drawn to, and I fear those six criteria. Um,
1: yeah. uh, yeah. And I was going to say, it sounds like also a good way to develop a character. When you come up with a character, give them that exact same exercise. And suddenly you you're getting a, a rounded human character.
0: Yep. Those are the things that drive characters, but it's also the things that drive us, you know? Um, And so it's like, if you can do those exercises either for yourself or for a character, you'll get yourself out of writer's block, basically. Yeah. Um, And again, that's probably why also I have to give credit where it's due. But um, yeah, it it was, I mean, it saved my writing career, if you want to call it that, back in the day. It just got me going again when I had no hope. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Most definitely. So, uh, Holly, uh, what was your connection there? Somebody from school or some, somewhere else? You
0: no, know, Holly Lyle is a online, um, an online writing teacher. She, she has several courses online and I, I can't, you know, I think one, the one that I took from her started to take from her was how to think sideways was what it was called. She has other courses now as well. And I think it's been a while, but I, I just, it was just like everything that she said, like got my creative juices flowing again when I was stuck. She was just like, she's brilliant, you know, absolutely brilliant. She's a writer as well, but she like taught writing. So
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if anybody wants to look it up, that's Holly Lyle, L-I-S-L-E. Holly L-I-S-L-E. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very cool. And I love all the resources that you can find because uh, the coolest thing about writing, but also the daunting thing about it is that there's no right way to approach it. Uh, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, there's, there's things that work for some people, things that work for other people, but um, back when I was a budding writer, um, I went to college. You know, one of my degrees, actually, in college was creative writing, and one of my creative writing professors said that there are no rules to fiction. Um, and she liked saying that, even though there are technically rules for fiction, you know, like you have to have um, character, plot, point of view, all this sort of stuff. She liked saying that so that people didn't get stuck saying, well, there's only one way to do fiction, and that's the way that i got to follow. Um, You know, it's it's kind of you find what works for you. You find the characters that work for you, and then you go from there. Yeah. And then you find people like Holly that are, you know, professionals at this thing and take some of their advice and, and, you know, use what they have for you that works. Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. Well, man, uh, best of luck, definitely, as you are continuing on with that novel. I mean, I know I write short stories because the idea of a novel is daunting. It's like looking at Everest and thinking,
0: nope. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what the heck? Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank
0: you. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Cannot wait to hear it when it gets done. Um, These days, what I do is I actually help people um, uh, edit their own novels. I'm actually wrapping up right now with a gentleman who you mentioned earlier, you've been writing this novel for 25 years. The guy that I'm helping, he's been writing his novel for 20 to 25 years as well. So there's a lot of folks out there that have been doing that exact same thing. Um, Just an, an idea that you have to get out but it's just taken some time to get it there.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> you kind of wish it didn't take so long, but um, but it does. That's,
1: that's writing. writing. Yeah, that's writing. Well, l- like I've told this gentleman that I'm helping out too, um, he, f- he finished the book, he's actually going to get it published. He got himself a publishing deal too. Um, and I was like, all right, so what's your second novel? <laughs> and he just laughed <laughs> at me and he was like, really? It took me this long to write one? and then he thought about it for a second he's like you know what though i do have an idea for another one so i think he might even write a second novel he thought this was going to be one and done the only thing he needed to write but now he's like he's like well i did it once i could do it again right
0: yeah <laughs> i like that i like that mindset
1: <laughs> right yeah the the first one's the tough one get it out of the way um but but i wanted to bring it back real quick to you know brain injury and where you are these days and um And recovery, talk about the impact through your life of that childhood tumor. Has it recurred? Has it come back? What kind of other issues are you dealing with? You know, ever since discovering it at nine?
0: So I did, did come back when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, it it was a recurrence and it was, of course, I I started to have migraines like the year or so previous to us finding the recurrence. Um, so, so when the tumor came back, it was like, I just started having migraines and they were blinding migraines. I couldn't see anything. I was just blinded. So I just sit on the couch or lay on the couch until it was over. Um, before the the tumor came back though, I'd had, I had a a brain surgery, of course, at nine years old, I had a double vision eye surgery to correct double vision. I still still see double today. I had, um, I had to take, I I had to take shots as a kid every day and once a month as well for, for growth reasons. Like I, the growth plates, as I understand the growth plates in my, my growth plates didn't function, didn't move, didn't change or anything. When I started to hit puberty, um, did that make, does that make sense? Um,
1: yeah, like you said, you, you dealt with a lot of health issues.
0: Yeah, so, like, after all this stuff, like, by the time the, the tumor came back again, um, I just, I'd been through some things, you know, and I was just, like, I, I was just, like, kind of fed up, you know, um, I was fed up with the struggle, I was fed up with having a brain tumor, I was just like, you know what, I don't care anymore, Of course, that was a long time developing, it was, like, from sophomore year to G, to senior year of high school, I just, things started to deteriorate in my in my outlook on life you know um so senior senior came around we had the the brain the second brain surgery scheduled i went i went into that brain surgery not caring what happened and i was just like whatever happens happens and i'll i i do not care anymore Uh, which is not the right mindset to have Um, but we got through the we got through the the brain surgery the second time and after that brain surgery, I had breakdowns. I had bleeding on the brain. I had morning paralysis. I had a lot of stuff. And years later, I, I went off my medication that I'd been on for years, you know, and I did that because I felt like, I felt like this is what God wanted me to do. And of course there's probably going to be a lot of people that say, well, that's not what God wanted you to do. Well, I knew it was, and I know why it was now. Um, and if you want me to stop now, like I can stop. Uh,
1: no, no, I, folks had probably struggled with similar stuff.
0: Okay, so so I went off my medication and I over nine months period, I my brain broke down and my mind broke down and I just, I stopped being able to function after a while and it just happened over time. And at the end of those nine months, I was looking at a very harsh reality. My mind had been under attack by itself, like it attacked itself for nine months, more and more and more. And finally I reached the point where I was just like, it's time. You know, it was like my time. My my brain was shutting down. Finally, I was just like, "It's time for me to go." And when that happened, I had a miracle occur. And you know, my I in my in my belief system, you know, I, I believe in God. I I believe He's my Father in Heaven, and um, and he he sent someone to me to to save my life. And I wrote a book about her, and it's called Walking with My Angel, and it's on Amazon. But anyway, it's just like I. I recount in that book, the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts I have for the person that saved me. And she's, she's in heaven, you know? And I, I mean, it's just, it's been a long journey in other words. And it's like, I know that, you know, anybody who deals with this kind of health challenge or any kind of health challenge has the ability to to rise above. But I, I don't think that at least for me, it was possible without help. Um, you know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely.
0: So, so I, I just, you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I never want to push my belief system or whatever on anybody else, but it's just like, this is where I'm coming from. And it's like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm here on earth because God wants me here. Not because I want to be here. <laughs> that sounds. I don't know how that sounds, but, uh, um you know i just know that we all have people other people whose lives we can touch and and i I just know that you know we're here to help each other and i guess that's the that's the main takeaway for me from all my stuff you know my brain tumors and all the stuff that's happened because of them and having breakdowns and yada yada it's just i'm here to help people and so is everybody else so
1: no i love that adam um i think It's something that I've heard a lot of folks that I've had on this podcast and other people that I've just met through life that, um, especially people that have recovered from or survived traumatic injury. And I'm thinking of especially friends of mine that have been through car accidents, a lot of them wonder why, why did I do this? Why did I deal with this? I have spent years recovering and I'm still here and it still hurts and it's still not easy. Why and and the folks that are starting to you know turn that corner, turn the page, I guess if you will, are the ones who realize you know I, of course I survived because I'm here for something larger than you know the, the the pain that I felt at the moment or what I was dealing with at the moment um, that there's there's more to it than that deepest, darkest point of my life
0: right I agree, I absolutely agree. Yeah.
1: Remind me, how old are you, Adam?
0: I'm 40 years old.
1: 40 years old. Great. And so you have been living, again, with uh, the the impact of this tumor since nine, for yep the majority of your life. And at in high school, was right about when you felt like you know things were getting to their worst, to their darkest.
0: No, no, no. Forgive me for interrupting. I found out about my angel years later. Uh, It was when I was 20, like 27, 28. Okay. I think it was in 2010. So it was February of 2010 when I found out about my angel when she came and saved my life.
1: So it's been just an incredibly long process for you. Life has been long in 40 years. You've lived several lifetimes. It feels like.
0: Yeah. Amen.
1: (laughs) And so I had to look it up on uh, Amazon. And like I said, it's, it's available right now on Amazon walking with my angel. It's on paperback in your author page you let people know exactly what you've been through in life. How long did it take you to get to that point where you could tell, you know, share your personal story with folks um, that this is what I've been through. This is what led me here.
0: This book was published. I mean, I mean, obviously it's not just about this book, but this book was published in just like last year. For two years prior to that, I was writing poetry to my angel, to and from my angel, I should say.
1: There's lots of folks out there that I've talked to through Biak and also just, you know, through other uh injury support groups that, you know, writing is like the catalyst writing is one of those things that's just, like you said, it's a great way of, um, getting thoughts on page or tackling difficult situations or even, you know, feelings, emotions that come up from difficult situations. It's just, it's therapy.
0: Yeah, it is therapy. Like it draws out the stuff that's inside and it's like, does it in a way that most things can't, you know?
1: It's the truth. And, and sometimes that's why I also understand why, you know, a lot of folks, they don't want to share what they've written. Like I used to do a BIAC writers group and it was all about yeah. fiction. And, you know, like the whole idea of the writers group was to, you know, help people kind of like, um, you know, take their thoughts or maybe their, uh, ramblings, their stories that they had and form them into something that, you know, is a little bit more professional sounding or something that, you know, maybe they would want to share eventually. And a lot of folks, they still didn't want to share it. And I understand that because, you know, sometimes you don't. You don't need to share that sort of thing. It's for you. It's, it's the, the simple act of putting it down on paper that, that makes it important.
0: Well, I agree, you know? Um, but I also recognize sometimes there's people out there who would benefit from hearing what you've written, Hmm. um, or whatever, whoever's written it. It's just, that's a hard line to cross. If you want to call it that because you're just like, this is my sacred stuff like you're saying. Right. So, um, so it can just be hard to, to let it out. But I think for some people, they need to hear what you've written or what we've written, because it's like, it's like their healing balm, you know?
1: Yeah. I like that word, the sacred stuff. Um, cause it is, cause it can be. And, and I mean, I personally think the best writing in the world, uh, it, it's sacred text style and I'm not talking about the Bible or the Quran or anything like that. No, I'm talking about, you know, like the best stories out there in the world, the ones that stick with you and just like, you know, the, 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 form, you know, that special bond, um, they really can be that way when it comes to reading though, you know, are, are you a big reader too, or do you, do, does the writing tend to be separate from, you know, like, uh, whatever it is you're reading, you got favorite authors.
0: Um, I used to be a big reader. Um, and I guess that's like where my, uh, where my stuff, where my inspiration comes from. Like I used to be a big fan of Edgar Allen Poe's the Raven, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I read a lot of Mercedes Lackey. I also read like West, like I'm a, I'm a fantasy writer, poetry writer, but I read a lot of westerns with uh, Louis L'Amour. Oh yeah. Back in the day. Like I read as much of his stuff as I could get my hands on, you know. <laughs> I, I read like dozens. Yeah. I mean, he he wrote, he wrote so much stuff, you know. The,
1: well, and the guy's a masterclass in um like, you know, plot development and just and story and like keeping things churning along. Like, I mean, it's just yep. yeah, you can't put him down because <laughs> he's, he's yeah. he yeah, he was good at what he did. He was the blockbuster author of the day, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, me, I, I'm mainly focused on writing my novel right now. Um, and the, the hope is that it's going to be ready by the end of the year, but I don't know. I can't promise that, you know? All right.
1: Well, give us some more taste tests. The novel, what's it about? What do you got? Do you have a.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's a fantasy. Uh, it's about, it's, it's called the dreamer. Um, it's about a kid who's all powerful, except the catch is that he's forgotten everything. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who anybody else is. And the world that he once created, it's a real world, but it's a, it's a, a fantastical world. If you want to call it that Um, this world that he created once upon a time is about to be destroyed by his nemesis, who he doesn't, he also doesn't remember. And so he's got to figure out, he's got to figure out how in the world, who, who in the heck he is so that he can save the world he once created that he doesn't remember anymore. Right um yeah the people the people that live in this world are real the world that he created is real it's physical but it's also fantastical because it was uh two worlds that meshed into one right um so he his title in that world is the dreamer he doesn't remember his own name nobody else remembers his real name but they call him the dreamer most of them and anyway it's it's a page turner but it's also not done so i can't really claim that it's (laughs) (laughs) ready you know
1: yeah I got you but hey man that's a good hook I like the uh, the sales pitch the elevator pitch on that one and as somebody who I enjoy reading fantasy I like the angle and also the angle that it seems as though you're pulling a little bit from personal experience talk about the dreamer and like well the big hook there the fact he can't remember anything how does that mesh up you know with your own experience with memory are you trying to work through some things at the same time that you're coming up with this protagonist
0: Um, his story is my story set in a fantasy world. So yes, uh, his, um, his memory issues. I mean, obviously it's a lot more severe in his case than mine. I remember things. It's just, I I remember different sorts of things, you know? Um, but his, uh, his, his main, I mean, his, the reason he forgets things is because he, He doesn't, he hurts, you know, he hurts intensely. And when he hurts bad enough, his, his, his brain in order to survive, just shuts down memory. It's like, it's too much for him to handle or his brain to handle. So he just shuts down what he remembers until he doesn't remember anything. If he gets hurt bad enough. Right. Yeah. So, so his nemesis is aware. I don't know how much of my novel to give away in this, but (laughs) his, his his nemesis is aware of this weakness he has, if you want to call it that. And she, uses that against him. Um, so yeah. So yes, I don't know. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, and I also get what you're saying too, that you don't want to give too much of the, of this up because you never know who's listening. If anybody's listening right now and you want to uh, steal the idea, stop right now. We already know who you are. <laughs> well, well, cause again, you know, I've also been a big writer through the ages and it reminds me like, um, Oh, I used to use some online writer workshops. Um, and I knew some people that hated using those cause they were like, well, I don't know these people. I can't meet them face to face. How do I know they're not going to steal my idea? Um, and, and I kind of get that. I don't know. I guess I tend to be a little too trusting of people or to be honest, that's why I always date stamp all my stuff before it goes out anywhere so that, you know, if I'm coming across something and it sounds real familiar to what I did, hey, at least I can say, hey, I did that exact same thing a year ago. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is it is a funky world when you're writing, right? Because, like, you got to protect your ideas, but you also want people to, like, well, you got to get feedback. It's hard to write in a vacuum, I think, is the toughest thing. It can yeah, be hard to too. write. Yeah. Yeah. Or it could it be hard to get the best writing through, from a vacuum. It can be easy mm-hmm. to come up with ideas, but I found it's really hard to get the best product period if you're just you know totally solo in your own editor and the only editor on something.
0: Yeah, and I think from a, pers- from a professional standpoint, if you have like legit uh, editors or legit, what have you working with you, they're going to be, they're going to be eager to protect your work as much as you are, um, because if they don't, I think there's a liability on their end, a legal liability, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, anyway, it's just, I think, I think it's important to just, I mean, look out for yourself. Like you're saying, um, that's important. How
1: long did it take you to get to the point that you could share your story, that you could let people know this is what I've been through. This is the tough dark, harrowing things that I've, well, that were going through my mind, what the, the, you know, that I was dealing
0: with. Uh, well, subtract five years, five years from 40. (laughs) You know what I mean? Cause it's all, it's all, it's all like, it all builds up. Right. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so 35 years, (laughs) um, since my, my brother passed and, um, I mean, it's all, it's all related, right? Like we all have stuff in our psyche and stuff builds up over time. It's just like, after a while, you got to let it out. You got to implode. So, um, just kind of how, just kind of how you deal with it. Right.
1: And talk about the, how you felt after you, well, made that revelation. Cause I think that's a revelation that's tough to come to sometimes is that you, you have to do this or you will implode like to talk about that feeling of release when you got these poems put to a paper put in a book?
0: Um, it was a feeling of release. You're right about that. And it's like, there's all this pressure inside, not just my body, but my, my spirit, my, and also my head, because a lot of my, a lot of my pain that I, that I feel all it, like, the like a big part of it go, happens in my head. Right. Um, just cause of the way the tumors kind of done things to my Life, Right. So, so, um, you know, it's really about, it's really about just, you know, I reached the point where I was just like, you know, I gotta get this out, you know? And when that happened, it was like, it's like the pressure started slowly as I wrote these things down, it started to be siphoned off, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think Um, maybe it's going a little too far to say that, you know, the fact that your dad wrote poetry way back when, and that you started falling in love with it, you know, even as a kid, um, kind of like this, this latent gift, almost this, this, this thing that could help you has been with you your whole life. It just took a long time to get there.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah.
1: Um, and like you said, you still write poetry these days.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Um, Is it still, you know, that therapeutic sort of, you know, you know, poetry that's meant to help keep this release valve open?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a, I mean, it it still has the same function it did when I was five years old or nine or whenever I started, you know. Um, It's all about being healthy, you know, and I'm not saying I'm healthy or the healthiest, but it's like I'm able to function because I can write, you know,
1: Um. I recently read, um, who is it that I was reading? I was reading a biography from, um, oh, the name will come to me soon. So so one of my uh, downsides with brain injury is my memory, my recall is pretty bad. You know, I've got fuzzy memories, you know, instances that happened, but my proper noun recall and my uh, recall of, um, you know, specifics in the moment is difficult but it's going to come to me soon. I swear. Um, anyway, (laughs) I was, I I was recently reading, you know, uh, some essays and some, uh, kind of autobiographical stuff from, um, a great sci-fi author. And, um, he was saying pretty much what you were saying too, that he has been writing since he was very young. And one of those things, like literally he felt like he could not function in this world without writing. That, that yep. write, writing was what he had to do to be able to function. And you think, oh, my God, this is a popular author that's been with us for years and years, a classic. Ray Bradbury. That's who it is. Ray Bradbury. Ah, yeah. yeah. You know, a classic author, a guy who has written some of the, you know, the, the most well-respected sci-fi out there. Um, and he was saying that, great, I'm glad that I could you know entertain people. But really what I was doing it for was for me because without it, I could not function in this world.
0: Hmm. Um.
1: And mm-hmm. and it's one of those incredible things about writing. I think it's one of the incredible things about a lot of passions. When people are very passionate and very committed to what they do, when they have the discipline to follow through on it, um, it, it does become one of those things that's just as important as breathing or food. Yep. Yeah. You know. It,
0: yes. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, now, if you had any advice, then for burgeoning authors, you know, people that see like, oh, Adam's written a book. He's, he's actually got something published up on Amazon. I know that's like, uh, you know, that, that, um, dream for a lot of folks, where would you say they start? You know, how do you go from, you know, ideas, these things that you might be writing down to, you know, actually putting it out there in the world.
0: Um, couple things probably come to mind. Um, first thing is don't quit. Persevere in what you're writing if something you're writing doesn't work keep then start writing something else, but always keep writing Um, Second bit of advice would be to um, You know Have an end goal in mind You know have a if your goal is to write a novel then have an end goal What the novel is gonna feel like what it's gonna look like the last the final chapters of that novel what do you, because if you don't have something you're gearing yourself toward then you can't figure out a way to get there does that make sense
1: yeah of course even though you let your characters drive what's happening you, you, you can't just let them kind of free reign it's still got to have a story it's still got to have a plot
0: yeah it, there, there's a balance there i think and uh so I mean you so you have your drive you have your reason you' and that's the core that's the underlying motivation is what is your motivation to write it? I've, um, I think something Holly, Lyle, I think it was Holly Lyle who, who said, you know, you don't, you know, there's really only one good reason to be a writer for a career. There's really only one good reason. It's not for the money that you could possibly get. It's not for the, you know, the adulation from others. It's not that The the, the, Biggest reason to be a writer as a career is because you love to write, you know. Um, she she said, and I agree with her. She said, you know, that's that's really the only viable reason to do this because otherwise it's gonna just gonna suck the life out of you, you know.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Like Ray Bradbury said, he loved to write. So he was going to keep on doing it. Oh. And in the meantime, people happened to love what he was writing, which, well, (laughs) it's kind of cool when both of those things combine.
0: Yeah. You know and I mean? The more you write, the better you'll get. And I think, I think if you're meant, if you're a writer really at heart, then you'll keep writing, you know, regardless of how you think it sounds. And there's another thing, if you want to, if you want to write for a career, learn how to write at least the first draft of whatever you're writing, learn how to write without judging what you're writing.
1: Yeah. Almost like what we were talking about earlier, you you will just be your worst roadblock mm-hmm. if you, if, if you keep judging yourself or editing yourself as you're trying to just simply get something on the page.
0: Yep, And I know that cause I've done it both ways. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> I think all writers have, that's the truth. Yeah. There is definitely some days where you are your own worst enemy. And then there's other days where you're thinking like, I could do this all day. I could do this for the next week. <laughs> and okay. it's, well, it sounds like right now with your novel, you're kind of in that spot. Are you firing it on all cylinders? Feeling pretty good?
0: I am feeling pretty good. It's still a monstrous undertaking because there's gaps to fill and there's threads to complete. <laughs> so... Um, character-based plot is very intricate i'll say that much so
1: um i gotta tell you man the one thing that i avoid like the plague poetry because <laughs> <laughs> i think poetry is just daunting uh, i can write all day long when it comes to story and character and um you know prose but yeah whew, yeah when it comes to poetry man
0: do you want me to give you a poem now it's a lengthy one but do we have more time since you,
1: uh, Oh yeah, spoke? I, I would, I would love to hear it. Is this, um, something unpublished or is this uh maybe even from your book?
0: This is from my book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Okay. So given all these stuff that you know about me now with my history, I think this will make a lot more sense. This is from the, this isn't the voice of my angel, my, the person who saved me. Mm-hmm in my book. So keep that in mind. And I, okay. So it's called when you struggle, Oh, my warrior, you ready? Absolutely. Okay. When you struggle, Oh, my warrior, whilst not wanting even to try when all that's past in every memory can make you wonder why through every forwards effort you sincerely strive to make, I know, and God knows how vast, how deep your inner ache, The tenacity that binds you to the path we walk upon is at times not quite enough, so others must hold on. You have wanted we, your friends, on the other side of the veil, to let slack our grip on you. You wished our strength to fail. You've wished that in this failing, you would at last be done, that anguish would find its ending, that the war be fully won. Whilst all your efforts onward at least ensure that you survive, mere survival is not our purpose. We are here to make alive. This is why so oft you see me, arms wrapped around your shaken frame, holding fast to you, my warrior. I know that it's not the same. I know you're hurting far more personal than ever before. I know you feel you've the least amount of strength stocked up in store. I also know you need and needed me, your angel, by your side, that you want me with you always, that it's love whereon you rely. This love wherein, this love which you fully felt but once in all your life, is the reason you don't quit. The memory carried you through strife. Oh, my warrior, when you're aching so much so that you wish for home, remember that our eternity is the reason you mustn't roam. You turn away, then turn back, knowing this is the only path. You understand how much depends on this to gain all our father hath. The path to our eternity is a straight and narrow way. It's simple, though not easy. We will hold to it today. Hold the hope, my warrior. I will hold to you. Our friends hold on to us, and thus shall all of us get through. What would happen if we made it, all of us but you? We'd recall our loss, our son, brother, future husband, and father too. Forever joys and possibilities then in part erased. We'd look into our future and see eternity defaced. Oh, my warrior, hold on to hope, no matter how you ache. Our eternity is ever nearing, however long it seems to take. And when your joys forgotten, recall our sacred bond remember our past history remember it isn't gone you will remember everything the battles we have fought the fires we overcame the living gems we wrought remember who and whose you are remember when you feel all alone remember who it is that enables you to heal our connection is forever forever growing too you are my mortal warrior and i belong with you and though times not yet fulfilled you belong to me the day will come god will empower us as one to be, to be one, we are destined and however long it takes, you will know a beautiful day when your heart no longer aches. So when you struggle, my sweet warrior, know my hand is clasping yours, God's spirit in your heart and angels adding to your stores.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Adam. Thoughtful. Well done. I, and I love the, I love the repetition of my warrior hearing straight from the angel too. Reminding yep. you that, yeah, reminding you that you are a warrior. You're not. Uh, you're not about to collapse. Thank you. Great stuff. Well, Adam, remind us one more time the name of the book.
0: Walking with My Angel by Adam Scott Campbell.
1: Great, and available right now Amazon. You can get it what paperback, but also um, Kindle paperback,
0: hard hardcover, ebook, and also an audio book. All right depending on what
1: you want. So covering the gamut. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good
1: stuff. Well, yeah, definitely everybody get out there, go check it out. Especially if, um, uh, if you have any interest whatsoever in poetry and you know, what can be done when you put your mind to finishing something. Cause Adam, I would say that that that's incredible. You've written a book, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, <Yeah. laughs> you've written a book of poetry and now it's onto a novel, man. I mean, you are going to, well, what's there left to do? You're going to direct a movie next. <laughs>
0: You know, if there's a movie that comes out from my novel, I'd be happy to help. So. <laughs> All
1: <right. laughs> I'd be happy to see it. Well, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to hear where the dreamer goes. You got to stay in touch and let us know uh, how things are coming into the year. Like you said, that is a lofty goal, but doable.
0: Yep. Yep. And thank you, Phil, so much for having me on your, your podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Of course, Adam. Thank you for being here on the BIAC podcast, TBI Talking Brain Injury, um, talking to... S- folks like adam all across the state um and adam best of luck as you continue on with your journey like i said i cannot wait to hear where you're going to be going with uh these creative outlets that you found i mean just such cool stuff
0: thank you phil you're awesome
1: of course talking to adam campbell here on tbi